Welcome to Send the Church podcast, where we are going over the chronological Bible study, and this is episode number four. In the last Bible study, we touched on Cain and Abel and their family drama, and in today's Bible study, we will touch on Noah and his life of faith. Let us read from Genesis chapter 6. It says, And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And he repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and of the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Skip to verse 11. The Bible says how the earth was also corrupt before God and filled with violence. It was in this condition of the world that God spoke to Noah. Now, whether or not you know the story, I want to add one more detail from Hebrews chapter 11. It says in verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things that not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Second Peter adds some more detail regarding Noah. In chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into the change of darkness to be reserved into judgment, and spare not the old world, but save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Here we're reading, and it's recounted, that Noah's life was quite significant to be referenced throughout the Bible. Noah was a very prominent person that God wanted to keep at the forefront of his people's mind throughout generations. Noah's mentioned, as we read in Hebrews, Noah's mentioned by Peter, Noah's mentioned by Jesus, and Noah's also mentioned by Ezekiel. Noah is a very significant person, if I must reiterate, because it's through his life that we see the principle, again, of God preparing salvation 
even in times of wickedness. We have to look at Genesis chapter 6 in light of Genesis chapter 5. The advancement of humanity was directly connected to the decay of morality. The more humans expanded and populated the earth, the more wicked man became. We read about Enoch that he walked with God after he begat Methuselah. And oftentimes in the Bible, they would name their children because of significant events that happened in that parent's life. Or because that child was going to do something in the earth that was attached to the meaning of their name. And the meaning, again, of the name Methuselah, as we touched on previous Bible study, is the man of the weapon or missile or dart. And so Enoch was facing conflict, which brought him to be closer to God and walk with God. But humanity was not in a good state in which we read in Genesis chapter 6. Lamech, Noah's father, had called Noah's name. And he said this in verse 29 of Genesis chapter 5. The same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah five hundred ninety and five years and begat sons and daughters. Now the name Noah means rest in the Hebrew. And Lamech had declared and prophesied that Noah was going to bring rest for humanity. Now the thing is, while God does prepare for times of wickedness a means of salvation, it is the choice of man to cooperate with God or not cooperate with God with what God has provided for salvation. Noah had been warned of God, the Bible says in Hebrews. And so he moved with reverence and he built the ark. And he preached righteousness for over a hundred years in the process of building this ark. It's about time that, just like Noah who lived a message that he preached that the church should live the message that we preach. Truly, we cannot separate our lifestyle from our message. Noah heard from God, preached righteousness, and lived out righteousness. As the church, we must live what we preach. The world can tell the difference between somebody who lives what they say or does not live what they say. The world does not want to be a part of a hypocritical church. The church has got to rise up to live out the message that we preach. And Noah was this kind of man 
And we read scriptures that talk about how he was the eighth person because it was Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, for a total of eight people that were saved. But if you read the details of Genesis chapter 7 and 6, you will see that God had given specific instructions for there to be rooms in the ark. Multiple stories in the ark, specific materials were to be used in. God wanted specific sets and numbers of clean animals used for sacrifice and unclean animals as well. And God spoke to Noah to get into the ark after the period of time had been set where God was going to send rain upon the earth. Now the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 verse 11 that the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. Now before we start getting into some of the details of the flood, many have wondered about Genesis chapter 6, where we read about the sons of God seeing the daughters of men, and how God had said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. You see, God is long-suffering. God is patient, and his mercy endures from generation to generation. But God knows when man does not want to change. And God was able to exact judgment upon the earth because he had provided already and prepared a means of salvation and mercy. The flood that in one part judged the wicked also saved the righteous. Because God knows how to supernaturally, by his wisdom, Provide judgment for those who reject God, but provide salvation for those who receive God's message and live it out. The explanation of the sons of God and the giants in the earth really goes one of two ways. Two major explanations have been considered. One is that the Hebrew word for Nephilim, which is giants in the earth. In verse 4 of Genesis 6, many have thought about and considered how those giants were half demonic and half human or whatever half or portion you could imagine in your mind, but it was some combination of the two. Because throughout the scripture, the word or phrase sons of God is used by Job and even in Psalms in reference to some beings that came forth out of God's creation. More specifically, angelic beings. And it talks about how the sons of God were present at creation and shouted for joy. And there were sons of God that would gather in the presence of God and Satan would also come into the same presence of God that the other sons of God would come. Satan, before he became Satan, was Lucifer. He's referred to as the son of the morning 
The S-O-N, not the S-U-N. And this one explanation has really caused many to contemplate how these angelic beings, which there are really two classes, major and general classes of angelic beings. There's God's holy angels, and then there's fallen demonic angels. It has been considered that these fallen angels, these fallen beings, supernatural angelic beings, they intermingled with women, human women. And out of their unnatural affection and relationship came forth these giants in the earth. And these giants in the earth is quite an, an interesting thought because that word Nephilim and how it has been described in the Hebrew that they were men of renown, the Bible says, men of old. Some have considered that there are vague representations of these men of renown through what many would call Greek and Roman mythology and the mythology of the Nordics and other nations that have existed in human history. Now, I would not encourage you to ascribe to digging into all of the mythology of different cultures to try to figure out what these Nephilim were, because ultimately, whether it was this explanation or the second where some have said that this son, these sons of God are not angelic supernatural beings, but they're of the line of Seth, intermingled with the line of Cain, and perversion came amongst humanity because godliness intermingled with ungodliness. And we have the moral decay of humanity, whether it's the first explanation of somewhat half-human, half-false god beings, or the godly line of Seth or the ungodly line of Cain, God was not happy with the decay that humanity had embraced. Yes, there are angels who left their first estate and some were reserved in Tartarus until judgment, Peter says. And yes, we have seen in human history how God's people had intermingled with people outside of covenant with God. So we can see the principle present of both possible explanations, yet the same conclusion is revealed in that God, regardless of the source of wickedness in humanity, has prepared a solution of salvation for humanity. And this is what we see in Noah. He had prepared an ark, moving with reverence unto God, preaching righteousness, living righteousness. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 3 verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, 
that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Permit me to read it in the Amplified Classic Edition. It says, For Christ the Messiah himself died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty. That he might bring us to God in his human body, he was put to death, but he was made alive in the spirit in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison. The souls of those who long before in the days of Noah had been disobedient when God's patience waited during the building of the ark in which a few people, actually eight in number, were saved through water. And baptism which is a figure of their deliverance, does now also save you from inward questionings and fears, not by the removing of outward body filth, like bathing, but by providing you with the answer of a good and clear conscience, inward cleanness and peace before God, because you are demonstrating what you believe to be yours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here we see in the life of Noah, the same principle we discussed with Enoch, that faith is seen by works. Faith is demonstrated by works, as James would say. And Noah demonstrated his faith by working on the ark and the cleansing of the earth happened. And Peter connects that same principle to baptism, that we demonstrate our faith through baptism. Because it is an answer of a good and clear conscience, inward cleanness and peace before God, because of our faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Beautiful principles as to the power of faith being demonstrated by our actions. Noah lived out the message of righteousness that he preached, just like we ought to also live out the message of righteousness that we ought to preach. So jumping back to Genesis chapter 7, the fountains of the great deep broken up, were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. God had sent water to globally flood the earth from both the sky and underneath the earth. You could have a great time looking into geological history and archaeology regarding the record that the earth gives of a global flood upon the earth. The Grand Canyon, other mountains give and bear record that the flood happened globally and there were fountains that were broken up 
from the deep of the earth, the mantle is what we would call it, that sprung forth water enough in combination with the rain that fell for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 7, verse 17, and flooded the whole earth. Now, before this rain started falling and before the fountains had broken up, God had ordained for the door that would ultimately be the entrance and the exit of the ark. God had ordained that he was going to be the one to shut it. It says in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 7, And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Here we see that God had closed the door on humanity because humanity had closed the door on God. God had given and prepared an ark through Noah for humanity to be saved through. But because humanity ultimately rejected what Noah was trying to preach, and he did preach, God would only respond to what humanity wanted, and that was to be left out of God's salvation promise. I could imagine the possibility of these rooms that Noah had built into the ark, hoping and praying and preparing that people would come and join his family on the ark. But we don't see that. In fact, it was the creatures that were actually more obedient to the promise and word of God than humans themselves. We discussed in previous Bible studies how God created humans with the ability and the right to choose. God will not force anyone to have relationship with him. And really, that is what hell is. Hell is us receiving what we want when we do not want God in our lives. Heaven is receiving being with God because ultimately we want to be with him. So hell is our choice if we go there. Just like heaven is our choice if we go there. And it's a choice we get to make on the grounds of what God has provided for us in the ark of salvation that is found through Jesus Christ. And just like the Lord closed the door for Noah's family to get into the ark, there's going to come a day soon that the Lord is going to close the door on humanity that does not want to be saved. Because the same God that said that my spirit will not always strive with man, 
is the same God that is being patient and long-suffering today, while the ark of salvation that is found through the body of Christ, his church, is being built in the earth. And God will shut the door once he sees that humanity no longer wants to participate with God. And so the flood takes over the whole earth and cleanses it. We read these scriptures as to how God had flooded the whole earth, but Peter says that in the last day, God is not going to really send a flood to cleanse the whole earth by water. But next time God cleanses the whole earth, it'll be by fire. Now, we will get into, hopefully in future Bible studies, the difference between the cleansing of water and the cleansing by fire. But we see that God is very intentional with how he does things because he's trying to get our attention to understand how he works so that we can participate with him. The Lord cleansed the earth by water, just like he wants to cleanse our humanity by baptism. And God had ordained this through the life of Noah, the principle of the power of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been made of the dust of the earth and just how the earth was cleansed and its earthiness by water. Our souls and our lives and our humanity must be cleansed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the blood applied to our lives through what Peter said was baptism. And God remembered Noah, chapter 8 of Genesis says, And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And in this process, Noah was trying to time when the earth had completely been rid of the water that had flooded it. And so Noah starts to send forth a raven, the Bible says in Genesis 8 and 7. And then he sends forth a dove to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. The Bible says here that the dove did not find any rest, and so it came back to the ark. And verse 11 says that after seven more days, the dove came in in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. This is beautiful because here we see that after the water had cleansed the earth of all wickedness, God had oil growing on the other side. The principle here is that when God purges us, God empowers us with his anointing. As children of God, we must allow the Lord to purge our lives, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds so that he can empower us with his anointing 
to do the will of God as a clean vessel of honor that glorifies him alone. And so, once everything settles down, God speaks to Noah in verse 16, Genesis 8, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives. Bring everything with you, the animals, the cattle, the creeping thing, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah does so, and so do all the creatures. This is beautiful because at the declaration of God's promise of abundance, Noah moves towards sacrifice. Verse 20 says, Immediately Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart for the, is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. How beautiful it is that Noah was moved to give when he knew he was promised to receive. Would to God that as the people of God, we would believe the Lord's promise of abundance so much that we would initiate more giving. Giving of our time, talent, and treasure to the Lord and his kingdom. The Bible says God blessed Noah and his sons and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And it's so beautiful because the Lord reinstates the sanctity of human life in verse 6 of chapter 9, saying, for by the image of God, man has been made. So essentially, to not shed the blood of man Because man was made in God's image. So God makes a a covenant with humanity in chapter 9. And God gives a sign of the covenant in verse 12. And he sets a bow in the cloud. And it shall be for a token for a covenant, the Lord says, between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I... Bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. Now, this token that God chose to demonstrate and remind himself and us of his mercy and grace is so unique. And yet today, 
in the last 50 years, really, we have seen a resurgence of the same or perhaps really a similar symbol of the rainbow to be a symbol of perversion. The kingdom of darkness has tried to use this symbol that God chose to demonstrate mercy. The kingdom of darkness has used that same symbol to demonstrate perversion. Yet, if you actually look at how flesh and sinful worldliness has used uh, the symbol of the rainbow to demonstrate freedom and false freedom and false liberty and choosing of identity. It's interesting to me that if you track the history of the colors that are chosen in what the world would call the right use of the rainbow, that it's not the same colors as the rainbow that God puts in the sky. In fact, it changes quite uh, quite often. And God has not ever changed the rainbow that comes out in the sky. It's interesting because the kingdom, the kingdom of darkness shows its own cards because we see that Lucifer, when he was created, he had stones on him. Nine in particular. But when God gave Moses instructions for the breastplate of the high priest, he had 12 stones. Three that Lucifer never got to embrace. And we see that God will always outdo what the adversary tries to mimic. God will always outdo and remain the same in his superiority, while the adversary will always try to copy and twist, manipulate, and pervert. Yet he will never match up to what God has supernaturally ordained. This same rainbow, in fact, this token of the rainbow, shows up in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, where there was a rainbow round about the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it will bring us back to the fact that the Lord owns the rainbow. And it's his token of mercy that he has provided rest and salvation for all who receive his message and live it out. So after this flood happens, we read about Noah becoming a husbandman. And he planted a vineyard, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. And he drank of the wine and was drunk. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brethren outside. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. Now this story seems so out of place at first look. But it's important to realize that even this great man that God had chosen had a moment of weakness. 
Yet, Ham comes in and in Noah's moment of weakness, exposes his father by humiliating Noah's weakness and sharing it abroad with his brothers. This is an interesting story for God to include right after Noah had been a chosen man with a covenant from God and with God and showing Noah's weakness. And thank God for it because the truth of the matter is, as God's people, even after we establish covenant with God, we're going to have moments of weakness. And while some may say, well, Ham should have exposed or told somebody about Noah's moment of vulnerability. God was not pleased with Ham and neither was Noah. And God allows Noah to pronounce a curse upon Ham's lineage because Noah, even in his weakness, should not have been exposed and humiliated by his son. Ham in contrast to Shem and Japheth, did not do the right thing. Shem and Japheth, they tried to cover up what Ham had exposed. Now, this story is not support for concealing people's sins when it damages others. Because Noah was by himself in his tent drunk. And Ham intruded upon Noah and humiliates and exposes Noah's moment of weakness and vulnerability. Instead of trying to help Noah in his moment of weakness and vulnerability. Let us not forget that the grace and mercy of God is great. Because if we were honest, even the greatest of men and women of God have moments of weakness. It's not an excuse to all of a sudden live outside of covenant with God and have no standard of discipline and commitment and devotion and holiness unto God. But really, it's to be honest with ourselves and say that regardless of what kind of success we have had in ministry or whatever kind of experiences we've had in our relationship with God, we're going to have moments of weakness. And we're going to need somebody in the family of God that helps us to move beyond our vulnerability and weakness back into sobriety in the Spirit. We're all going to have moments of frailty in our humanity, but it does not excuse a lifestyle of compromise and worldliness and carnality. Ham should have known from living through the flood that God was merciful and God was not looking to set up man for failure, but God is in the business of restoring and helping man find a means of cleanness and salvation through the cleansing that comes in the Lord. But Ham does not do this. Ham exposes his father 
while Shem and Japheth come to assist in helping make sure that Noah was secure. Here we conclude the story of Noah. And in Genesis chapter 10, we get the record of the generations of Noah after his life. We read about Nimrod, a big figure that we see represented in types throughout the rest of the Old Testament. How Nimrod had ultimately gotten people to worship false gods. Because the truth of the matter is, even after God had established a covenant through Noah, man was not going to be forced to live out that covenant. Man still had a choice to make whether or not he wanted to honor God or honor his own flesh. So Nimrod comes along the scenes. We read about different tribes and nations coming forth. And in Genesis chapter 11, we discover again humanity trying to have its own way. I encourage you to read these passages, Genesis chapter 6 through 11, and pray to the Lord about learning more of these scriptures and reading the story for yourself and see how God gets in the details to reveal himself to us, how gracious and merciful he is. Thank you for joining this chronological Bible study number four episode with Send the Church podcast. Be blessed in Jesus' name.